Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I have with me Dr. Barbara Bagger-Lejino-Hosa, CEO of Leadership Empowerment Group. She is located down in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. That's where we met several years ago. I have, I've really been looking forward to this interview. Uh, she is one of the foremost trainers in leadership and communication, not only in the Rio Grande Valley, that five county area, but in most of South Texas. And she has a very impressive organization, a very well-constructed organization, and an amazing paradigm and philosophy on leadership. I'm going to begin by reading her bio, and then we'll give her a chance to make a self-introduction. Barbara Baggerly Hinojosa, PhD, is a wife, mother, an educator living in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. She is a graduate of, of Our Lady of the Lake University with a PhD in leadership studies. In addition, she holds an Associate of Arts degree in education from McClellan County College, Bachelor's of Arts in Interpl Interdisciplinary Studies from the University of Texas Pan American, and a Master of Arts in Educational Supervision from the University of Texas Pan, Pan American as well. Dr. Bagalajino-Hosa's current research is focused on servant leadership, gender issues in leadership, and leadership communication. Dr. Bagalajino-Hosa is the CEO of Leadership Empowerment Group. In this capacity, she serves the business, education, government, and healthcare system industries with training and coaching on leadership development, conflict management, team building, communication, and strategic planning. In addition, Dr. Bagali Hinojosa is the owner of Mid Valley Publishing, which provides and publishes the Mercedes Enterprise newspaper. Finally, Dr. Bagali Hinojosa is a professor of leadership studies at Our Lady of the Lake University in the School of Business and Leadership Studies, where she teaches PhD and courses in leadership theory, conflict management, business strategy, and oral communications. She has three books, she has published three books on leadership. Are you a 10? The 10 Characteristics of a Servant Leader, The Leadership Collection, and Eres Un Diez, and has been a contributing author in various leadership textbooks and has published articles in numerous academic journals. She serves her community in participating as a board member for the Hidalgo County Cotillion, Dr. Hector P. Garcia Memorial Foundation, the Deep South Texas Panhellenic Society, Excellence in Teaching and the Organization of Women Executives. In 2017, Dr. Bagarly Hinojosa was named Woman of the Year by the Mercedes Chambers of Commerce and has recently been named in 2018 Rio Grande Valley Business Woman of the Year by the RGV Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Recently, Dr. Bagarly Hinojosa was awarded the Governor's Small Business Award and named one of the Women of Distinction from the Texas Mexican American Chamber of Commerce in 2019. Dr. Hinojosa, thank you. I am so excited and honored uh, to have you here on my page today in this interview process. Uh, you are by far one of the most influential instructors in leadership I have ever known and met in my life outside of the U.S. military. Thank you for being here. And could you take just a few minutes uh, to, say, to let people hear something about you that is not on this bio? Well, sure. Thank you, first of all, so much for the invitation. Um, I was super excited. I'm very glad that our our calendars meshed together and we were actually able to connect. Um, I always love to talk about leadership, so it's a good it's a good day. Um, aside from what you read, you know, I am here on the Rio in the Rio Grande Valley. We are right on the border, the Texas Mexico border. We're we're positioned about six miles north of the Rio Grande River. Um, and I really think that leadership is, is all about finding your space to serve. And um, that's really why we're here. That's why we stay here. That's why we do most of our work here. And really the work that we do here informs the work that we do outside of this region. So we do have an office in San Antonio and then we have an office in Waco, which is more of central Texas area. But all of the work we do outside of this uh, this region is really informed and, and based on 
the service that we do here and the lessons that we've learned here. So um, aside from all that, I am a mom of three kids who are all adults. My youngest just graduated from high school this year. So I am creeping into a new chapter of um, empty nesters and I'm feeling all the feels about that, so. Well, you know, when I met you down in South Texas, I'm not quite, I don't remember exactly the year, but one thing that I remember my first impressions about you where you were probably the first individual I met post-military service and that had been many years that had such an experience and education and history with extensive leadership application and training. And that, that was the very first impression that I have of you. And I wanna ask you a couple of questions really quick to get the conversation going. PhD in leadership studies. Why a PhD in leadership studies? What drew you to that particular area? So such a, such a great question. I think very early on, I had a goal for myself to obtain a doctoral level degree. But I got married very early to the um, displeasurement of my parents. And so my, my journey in formal education took a long time. It was a long journey, but I did, I always in the back of my mind thought that it, that, you know, I really wanted to reach this terminal degree level. I felt like my grandparents and even my parents uh, really sacrificed a lot for me and my sister to understand the value and importance of education. So I felt somewhat responsible to continue on as much as I could. Um, one day, my husband brought home a newspaper clipping of a PhD program that was brand new coming to the Rio Grande Valley, and it was going to be a faith-based program, and it was going to be a weekend college. And both of those things appealed to me. And then aside from that, it was out of the school of business. And as you read my bio, all of my previous formal education has been in the school of education. I'm a former principal. I was a school principal for many years. I've also been the director of migrant education here in the Rio Grande Valley, where I helped uh, run migrant education federally funded programs. And so um, this idea of trying to add to what I knew as an educator and what I had learned professionally and formally as an educator, add this business aspect to it because all of my life, I went the education route, my husband went the business route, and it stared in my face every day that there is such a division between educators and business folks in terms of e economics and knowledge and, and um, activity in the community. And so I, I looked at my husband who was making two and three times my salary uh, because he chose the business business route and he actually fun fact never did complete a college degree he has a hundred and some odd college hours but ultimately stopped going to college so that I could continue and so never completed any one of his programs and so I I got to see he he chose this path for himself where he was very successful and and my family benefited from that tremendously but not a path that an educator necessarily could have followed. And so I really thought this, this exposure to the business world could complement what education I had in the education world. Leadership studies. What? Okay, I heard you. It's faith, faith, faith program, which is very important to you. What was in this program, other than the business portion of it, being faith-based, that drew, well, you were a school principal, you were director, a director of the migrant education in that area. What was it about this concept of leadership studies that was bubbling up within you from what you had already experienced that you wanted to go that route with the PhD above and beyond the business aspect? Great question. It, I, I saw a lack of leadership and I still see that today, right? And I experienced in one of the school districts that I worked in, in six years, we had five different superintendents. And so I was always um, so interested in what the issues were in and around leadership. And here in the Rio Grande Valley, we're geographically isolated from a lot of the resources, including higher ed. I think that's changed. I've been here almost 30 years and that's changed over time. 
But at the time, 10, 15 years ago, there weren't very many opportunities for someone like me to engage in a PhD program to learn about something so important to this region, which is leadership. So I jumped at the opportunity because I thought this is really where where we're needing information and education. And I, I teach now full time in that program. I was their first graduate. I was their very first graduate with a PhD in leadership studies here in Rio Grande Valley. And now I've been a full time faculty member for eight years in the program. And what drives me to continue that work is the, the impact and change it can have in this region when we have people formally educated in a topic like leadership where we see such a lack of that skill development. Um, so I really feel in another 10 years, we're gonna see a whole different region, different organizations, and in fact, different communities, because we're gonna have more informed, more educated leaders um, who understand how to effectively lead. They understand that skill. And so that was what, what drew me. And I think just in practicality, it was a week in college. That didn't exist here in the Rio Grande Valley at the time. Most doctoral level programs were programs that you had to quit working to be a full-time doctoral student. And that's just not a, a reality that our region can face. We, most people here need to work. And so um, this idea that I could continue with my career and work during the week and then attend classes on the weekend was quite appealing to me and and i think is one of the reasons our program is still successful to this day one of the things that i remember that i have seen on facebook is you working with your students your students graduating and it has been impressive to see their confidence to see their competence and their passion to change the world around them. Within, the, within this aspect of leadership studies, you're the first graduate of that program. You've been on full-time staff for eight years. What are some of the principles of leadership and whatever that might encompass that is so important to you that not only to your students, but that you implement through the leadership, empower, leadership empowerment group? So in the program, it's just like any other PhD program, when you have a subject matter, you really study that subject matter. And so in the program, we study all leadership styles. We study the timeline and chronology of what we know about leadership development. Um, and But it's couched in this culture of our organization, our, our Lady of the Lake University, that was really founded by the Sisters of Divine Providence. And that was to serve the needs of people who were underserved. And so we look at leadership uh, in, those, in that lens. I took that from this scholarly um, aspect to an application. And that's what we've done at Leadership Empowerment Group. Not everyone wants to be a PhD student, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And so we, we brought what we talk about at the university in a very scholastic academic way, and we study it. We, we really brought that to everyday conversations and application. And that's really what Leadership Empowerment Group is founded on. How do we apply this today? How do we um, just work on being a better leader because better, better leaders will create better teams. Better teams will create better com communities and better businesses. That helps us all. So we really have to invest in the development of the person, each of us, if we're ever going to get ahead. We've got to develop person by person by person. And it really does start with recognizing that we're all leaders, whether we ever asked for that role or not. We are because the pure definition of leadership deals with influence and we all have it. And so understanding that we're leaders first and foremost, but then understanding that leadership's a skill and just like anything else, skills have to be developed. We have to practice them. We have to learn about them. So really opening up that knowledge so that everyone has access to it and that everyone can in fact continue to develop themselves as, as leaders, as better leaders. The fact of the matter is at the end of the day, we're human beings. And so we will never be the perfect leader because just inherently we've got issues, we've got weaknesses. But if you and I are focusing on developing and improving our leadership ability, we will continue to get better. 
And that will, we'll see those results. We, in, in our program, in the PhD program, we're, we're all quantitative um, based research. So it's all about the stats. And over and over and over again, in research, looking at leadership, we see the patterns. We see followers improving because the leader is becoming a better leader. We see people more satisfied, more committed with their jobs. We see less um, negative conflict happening in families and in communities and in businesses, all because someone in the group is working on their leadership skills. And so because that keeps coming back, we know how truly important individual leadership development is. And so we want to make sure at, at our at leadership empowerment group, we have programs for children where we come in and do leadership development uh, academies for children. We have a very successful leadership academy in um, a housing authority uh, place here in the Rio Grande Valley where people are um, uh, they live in assisted living environments. And so we go in and help them develop their skill of leadership so that hopefully futuristically they'll they'll be able to become more self self-efficient and and not rely on the housing that they're needing to have at the moment um so you know that's how it kind of comes together and i think one of the things you had mentioned prompted me to think about my past experience and my past education really taking all of my formal education in terms of being an educator so learning pedagogy learning child development learning how to teach adult learners that's what I was all, I was trained in all of that up until my master's degree. Pairing that with now understanding a business sense and how to run a business and have some competitive advantage really helped me um, create and sustain Leadership Empowerment Group because we are a business that educates. So we took what I was doing for 20 something years in the school district, paired it with what I learned in higher ed out of the School of Business, and we came up with a business model that seems to make sense for us. What is pedagogy? Pedagogy is the way you teach. So it is um, the manner in which we instruct others. So if anyone has ever had that brilliant professor who couldn't say a complete sentence or couldn't help, couldn't teach us anything, but we knew was brilliant, that, that's a lack of pedagogy. And we see that over and over, especially in higher ed. We, still, we see brilliant professors, very astute in their knowledge, but no one ever taught them how to convey that knowledge to other people. And that's pedagogy. And that's what teachers get trained in. So teachers get trained in the effective ways in which getting the information across to a variety of different learners with different personalities. And you said that um, that PhD helped you to build a competitive advantage using your education or the background in education, along with combining that with business uh, capacity and give you a, a competitive advantage in, in your ongoing leadership development cycles and processes for others. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. We One of the classes that I teach at the university is a, is a business strategy class where we really focus on competitive advantage and really understanding the competitive um, layout of the environment in which your business is in to help inform and craft a strategy. And so at Leadership Empowerment Group, we're very acutely aware that we need to make sure we're assessing the competitive environment at all times. And so one of the things we have to make sure is that there are some barriers to new entrants, that people um, can't easily just come in and take our clients away from us. And that's just business strategy, right? That's just business sense. And so understanding that this idea of having um, a terminal degree in the subject makes you an expert and and that is is few and far between there are not as many people with phds and leadership studies out and about so that that off the bat provides us one competitive advantage certainly you would need more but that's one well one of the things that i appreciated about military life was before you got before you were awarded your next promotion your next level of service they sent you to another leadership school and it was a live-in course, and it was very demanding. It was very challenging. They would put, the, they would pour the pressure on uh, trying to test your limits, your think, your critical thinking skills, your ability to get along with others, 
And one of the things I found in one of the schools, they said, you know, the hardest thing for leaders to do is to get along with each other. They were watching uh, this group of leaders. It was, it was advanced, uh, we're all infantrymen, right? So uh, it, was, it was interesting to watch how the leaders, the, we're all experienced seasoned leaders. And it was interesting to watch the instructors just stand back and watch to see how we would naturally meld to as a unit and conform to the needs of the unit to accomplish the mission right that had been assigned to us because you have to get out of your own way your ego has to get out of the way so you can accomplish the purpose uh, do you teach those kinds of concepts or principles or ideas absolutely um they're embedded in all of the effective leadership theories that our students study at the university and then with the consulting firm definitely we put that into application so what does it look like um, how do we understand our own emotional intelligence mm -hmm. so how can we become more self-aware of our tendencies and a lot of those are based on personality so in at leadership empowerment group we have a whole module on just understanding personalities and our own tendencies, our own personality tendencies, so that we can better manage them. Because the second component of emotional intelligence, after we're aware of ourselves, we realize we need to manage ourselves. We need managing. And so learning those tips and those techniques for ways in which we can manage ourselves leads us to the third component of emotional intelligence, which is social awareness, then understanding personality tendencies of those around me. And that leads me to the final component of emotional intelligence, which is relationship management. So in a nutshell, it's me knowing me, me managing me, me knowing you, and me managing my relationship with you. And those are the signs of high levels of emotional intelligence that every single effective leader has to have. Without that, they're not an effective leader. And so I often use the example of me and my husband because we've been married for 30 years and we are on opposite sides of the compass in terms of personality. So the way we teach personality, we teach it as points on a, on a compass. And so I'm a very true North. I have um, tendencies that make me want to go fast, take risks. I think very quickly. I make decisions very quickly. And my husband is absolutely the opposite side of the compass points. He's a South and South people are much more emotional. He has a lot of West in him, which is detail oriented. So he likes to think through plans. He likes to ask lots of questions. All the things that frustrate me are his strengths and all the things that frustrate him are my strengths. But the secret sauce in being effective in our homes, in our families is understanding the value of that. His perspective is very different than mine on just about everything you can imagine. And instead of seeing that as a challenge or a negative, we've learned very early on that that's a positive because you're able to see something that I cannot see. My lens does not allow me to see that. So I need to listen. I don't have to agree, which is what all empathy is about, is me just getting it, just understanding your perspective. But it makes us um, together collectively stronger. And so when we go into businesses and we do this type of training, we assess where there is a lack of personality and we help that business hire intentionally a person that has those personality tendencies that's lacking because the best team, the best family, they, it has a representation of all the compass points and it allows us to really see the whole picture through discussions and dialogues. You know, empathy word. Is a very important word. And we have to be able to have a sense of appreciation of what others ha have either gone through or what they're going through now. And I remember when I was in the in the in the infantry, let's just say that we were navigating, it's in the middle of the night. Point man got disoriented, he's tired, everybody's tired, we're off track. I, I would hear somebody complain, oh, we're, we're lost again, or we're going in the wrong direction. I would always stop the movement. I would tell the point man to stop moving. I would grab that person that's complaining. I would take him to the front. I would give him the map. I would give him the compass. I would tell him, this is where, this is where we think we're, this is where we think we're at. Since you seem to know, all these conditions now are on your shoulders you now 
plot the the plot you now establish the direction of travel and I want to see you get us out of here and it only took one or two times to do that with people and I never let them off the hook I never said you don't have to do this I would tell them you are going to do this so you understand the pressures of leadership and what it is to be exhausted and still have to lead through to points unknown other than what you have on, on a picture map that could be 20 years old. Talk about empathy a little bit and why it's such a critical component to be, to, to not only be an effective leader, but in the process of becoming a greater leader. So I, it is the second characteristic of a servant leader. So servant leadership is a theory that I've I've researched the most out of all the theories, just as a researcher, I've investigated the most. Um, and in fact, two of my books are really focused on the servant leadership theory. And the set, the first component is listening, which really I do believe you can't have a lot of empathy if you're not listening, right? So I think these components kind of go together. But empathy is really about me hearing you, understanding your perspective, maybe even realizing that I would never know how that feels, but understanding that that's how you feel and honoring that. Um, we certainly need more empathy, especially in today's time with the challenges that we're facing right now due to a lack of empathy. Um, we need to understand that it's not our place to sympathize. So empathy and sympathy are very two, two very different things, right? Sympathy is I feel sorry for you mm -hmm. or I feel sorry for myself. And that just really isn't a helpful skill for any leader to either feel sorry for himself or herself or for others. But to understand empathy is to listen, to build on the relationship, to learn from others. It does not mean you necessarily have to agree. It does not mean you necessarily have to fully understand. But it's that you are in that process of trying to figure out why this person sees the situation or this issue the way he or she, she sees it. That's empathy. It's being able to imagine yourself walking in their shoes. You'll never get to walk in someone else's shoes, but it, it is that process of, an, of imagining what that must feel like or what this must look like or what this must sound like. Um, it's that process. Empathy is very hard to learn. It's very hard to teach as well. There's been quite a bit of research um, suggesting that children who were born after the year 2000. So I have one in my, in my home, my seven, my 18 year old, he just turned 18 this month. He was born in 2002. And so this research really sticks with me because I've watched him uh, on this topic of empathy. Um, really says that children born after the year of 2000 really have little to no empathy skills. And I think a lot of it's attributed to the amount of time they spend um, on video games and that sort of thing, and just virtually, which we're all participating in even more. Um, and so there's going to continue to be a need to develop that. I, I'm reminded there are games where kids shoot everything that moves, right, in the game and you get points. Well, if there's not anyone to mitigate some of that and explain some of that, I'm not saying it's totally wrong, but left unattended and left un unled, it could lead to someone not fully understanding the perspective of whatever that was you just shot, right? So understanding empathy and, and knowing that it's very low and some of our younger children who will eventually very probably sooner than later be in our workforce. And so as we're building our teams, understanding that this is a topic we're going to have to spend some time on. We're going to have to have some intentional training and dedicated time to talk about empathy because that will, you have to have it without empathy for customer perspective, you have no job. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out in order to provide effective customer service, and we all have a customer, without a customer, we don't have a business. So in order to provide effective customer service, you have to have some level of empathy for the customer. You have to see what they're seeing and feel what they're feeling when they interact with your business. Now, let's talk a little bit about one of your books, Are You at 10? Talk us through the vision that, why did you write it? How, how was the, the purpose of the, the construct of it? And what are you hoping to do with the knowledge that comes from uh, reading it? Because I've downloaded, I've read it, I, have, I love it. 
Thank you. We, it's an old book now, right? Uh, we, I actually have a book coming out um, that is looking at leadership in crisis. I'm, I'm doing that book in combination with, with several of my consultants that work for us uh, as contributing authors. So I'll keep you posted when, when we get to publication with that one. But Are You a 10 is about servant leadership and it came, I actually wrote that book when I was still a student. I had not graduated with my PhD yet. And I had been invited to speak to a group of teachers about leadership. And so I had put together some of my learning about servant leadership from Robert Greenleaf's writings. And I put those together in a binder and it ended up being these 10 characteristics. And, and then there was this kind of demand and request afterwards for some guide. And so that binder of notes turned in eventually into a book. And so the book walks people through the 10 characteristics of a servant leader, trying to explain a little bit about what they are um, in very layman's terms. The book is intended for anyone to be able to pick up and read it with no problem. Um, and then each section concludes with some tips and techniques that we can work on every day to become better at that particular skill. So for example, listening um, is the first characteristic and really understanding, depending on our personality type, some of us are just better listeners than others. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, being a kind of a true North person, listening sometimes is a challenge for me because I'm going too fast, I'm trying to get things done, I'm too action oriented. So really teaching myself the kinds of things like put the phone aside, put the, put the computer away, um, be intentional, make eye contact, put everything away so that you're not tempted to try to work on something else. Um, those are things that help me understanding that I need to take a deep breath, that I need to slow down. That really helps me, especially as I'm communicating with people opposite of me, like my husband, the South. Understanding that when I don't do those things, it makes him feel unappreciated, unlistened to, it makes him feel all the things I didn't intend for him to feel. And so as we're leading groups, understanding that there are things we have, it's all about, again, me being aware, number one, that I'm not very great at listening in, just naturally, and two, managing that, understanding there are some things that I have to do every day to work on this skill because it's not a skill that comes naturally to me. Um, so we're back to that emotional intelligence, right? So the book is intended to really help people just kind of walk through some very practical things that they can do to develop the skill. We had the book translated into Spanish a couple of years after that because we were missing a whole audience of people who were really interested in developing their servant leadership skills. And so that's when It Is Un Diez was published. Mm -hmm. Now, when when did you come to, um, in your studies, when did you realize that this philosophical perspective of servant leadership was the most attractive to you and be, would be, become the, the foundation and the guiding force of your work? That's a good question. It, it's the theory that resonated with me the most as a student. Um, and it was at the time a theory not well researched um, quantitatively. It, it had a lot of qualitative research to support it, but not a lot of quantitative. Now we know a lot quantitatively about it. Um, I think this idea of service really just resonated with me that to be a servant leader looks a little different than say a transformational leader, leader or even an authentic leader because it is about um, at its core it's about putting others first and foremost before yourself and so this idea of how I can best lead through service through allowing other people to develop their leadership skills because the sign of a true servant leader it, are more leaders Mm -hmm. the, the servant leader's goal is to produce more leaders. And a lot of that is just through action. It's not through formal instruction. It's through just by the influence of, of the way, way you live your life mm -hmm. and the fact that people are watching and, and being conscious of that and making sure you're making as good of choices as possible so that it could influence others to make as good as choices as possible um, is the core of servant leadership. And so I think that's what resonated with me. I think it connected a little bit to my um, faith-based perspective on running businesses and running families and, and, 
and contributing to our community. I think it was the most aligned to to the to my lens, the way I see I'm best utilized and, and um, the best way I can help. And so I studied it a little bit more. I continue to study it. I think um, it's very much tied to my research on gender issues and leadership. I think if we could build in more servant leaders, we will see what emerging leaders who were never given the opportunity to hold some of those leadership positions in the past because of this idea of servant leadership, right? I think we'll see an emergence of much more diverse and inclusive leadership teams um, if we can embrace this theory. And I think this country is craving that at the moment. And so I, I think it's really what we need. A lot of research says that women are actually a little bit naturally more servant leaders than men. And so I think that in the, in the past we thought, and it could have been some of it from our military perspectives is that to be, and in fact, actually the very first theory of leadership that you would read about is called the great man theory. And so that's a really good way to, to, to discuss this. We used to think that in order to be a leader, you had to number one, be a man. Number two, you had to be um, tall, broad shouldered, and have a deep voice. And in, in early days, if you were that person in the community, you were just assigned to be the, the spokesperson and the leader because you had this presence, this physical presence, right? We've really moved from that, thank goodness, um, and recognize that not all men who are tall and broad-shouldered and deep voices are just naturally great leaders, right? And so we've learned and evolved over time that there are actually these skills that anyone can work on and develop if they want to. Mm -hmm. And that's what will make a true leader. So I think we'll begin to see much more diverse uh, leaders and not, not every leader looking kind of the same. Um, but in our research on gender issues and leadership, we still are really lacking. We have so many, um, here in the Rio Grande Valley, we have so many really big institutions powerful institutions who still don't have a woman sitting on the, the board. Mm -hmm. And so those are the mm -hmm. issues that we want to work through because without that, we're missing a perspective that I think is so important. Um, just another perspective. And we really, again, without customers, we have no work. And so understanding that different perspectives will bring different empathy and different understanding to what the customers need and want, because our customers look, you know, they bring, they're so diverse. They have to be diverse. When we think about personality and thinking about the compass points, north, south, east, and west, and we say, okay, if you're missing someone on the west side of the compass on your team, let's, let's hire someone in that area because you've got west customers. And right now your west customers are not being served. And they may not even be your customers right now because you have nobody on your team that can relate to them. So you're missing a whole opportunity to capture some some customers that you need. So um, I kind of feel the same way about, about gender issues and, and even about servant leadership. I think it's just a leadership theory that allows for diversity and inclusion much more than some of the other theories. What's the difference between qualitative research and quantitative research? Good, thank you. Thank you for asking that. Qualitative research is research based on observations, interviews, um, experiences and quantitative research is all about the numbers. So um, quantitative research projects, you'll see people send out surveys and, and questionnaires, those types of things and get responses. And then the, the researcher will take those responses and do, do some statistical analyses with those numbers. Whereas a qualitative researcher will take those, they will scribe things that people said um, they'll, they'll take some information from interviews and they will still sometimes put those into some statistical analyses, but it's, it starts with a narrative and observation, not numbers, right? That's the difference. Um, quantitative research, we're looking at numbers based on feedback on surveys and questionnaires. And with those numbers, we take a look at um, things like predictors, so, so does, does leadership predict certain outcomes like job satisfaction? Does leadership predict employee commitment? Uh, I have a student right now looking at does leadership predict grit and resiliency? Because that's a great thing to know if, if, the, if my leader in my organization 
and her leadership style contributes to my level of resiliency, we're, we're in business, right? We're, we, if, we, if we find out that leadership impacts the resiliency and the grit of people around us, that's impactful. That can, that's a game changer, right? Because um, that's how important leadership might be or as, or as it's viewed by the, by the follower. Well, there's no doubt that you and I are definitely in agreement regarding, I think, I do believe that the greatest commodity missing in our society today is, is leadership, empathetic, effective uh, leadership that can soundly communicate ideas, that can um, reach across the table almost intuitively and bring someone across and say, we have a problem, let's work this out. I, I would like to hear some more on gender issues in leadership. And before you answer, I'd like to just pose this uh, one scenario. You know, when my father died, my mother was 37. He was 39. He died of a heart attack. <clears throat> this was 1971. It was a time, as you know, where this was in New Braunfels, Texas. That era of time for those that hear this was, was very different. We, she, at that time, she was a widow. We were poor and she was Hispanic. So she had three strikes against her at that time. And I'm not trying to victimize my mother because she never allowed us to do that. But it was my mother who drove around the neighborhood, picked up all the kids to take them to Cub Scouts, sewed their uniforms, um, picked up the, the girls for Girl Scouts in the neighborhood to take my sister and her friends to Girl Scouts, went to the campouts, did the cookie sales, uh, really helped us get involved with the processes in our community that otherwise we uh, would not have been able to do that when we were trying to get into Weebelows post Cub Scouts. Uh, no one would take us at that time. They, there was one troop down in that town, Troop 757, uh, that met at the Veteran of Foreign, uh, uh, the VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars, where my dad was a leader because he served in two tours, two wars, three tours of combat. And Mr. Thompson was the only scoutmaster at that time that would take minority children. Some people will, will listen to this and say, no way, but that's truth. And my mother is the one that sat on my bed and prayed with me every night. And in my life, she was by far the most significant leader I have ever known. But I also saw the way she was treated because she was a widow because we were poor and because she was Hispanic. What have you learned regarding gender issues and leadership? Are we doing well? We seem to be doing pretty well, but are we really doing well? And if so, is it because of this education portal, this understanding portal? Is it just plain luck? Or is there a plan to create an equal landing for leadership around gender issues? You know, it's a very complex question. Um, I don't know that that I would categorize it even as are we doing well or not. I think it's a journey. Um, and I think we're the more educated a society becomes, the more we realize, really based on our, our experiences, it's, it's foresight, right? That's one of the characteristics of a servant leader is foresight and learning from your mistakes. So I think some of this is developed over time through education because we're learning from our mistakes. It's not necessarily this is how it was intended to be, but we tried it this way, it was a mistake. I think um, there was a time, maybe even in the time when you were growing up, that we thought this very dominating type of leadership style was the most effective. You do what I say you do because I'm the boss and that's the way it goes. And I think many of us worked under that structure and didn't think anything about it. I, I graduated and became a teacher. Um, and, and honestly, it's a great story. I came to the Rio Grande Valley in my early 20s, and I actually started as a teacher assistant because I didn't have my, my bachelor's degree when I, got, when I arrived here. And the principal of the school said to me that there were a couple of rules that I needed to understand if I wanted to, to be a part of their team. And the first one was, that if I were to go to HEB, and, and here in my little town, there's one grocery store, and it's HEB, and it's one, one HEB. And she said, if you're going to go there, 
as a, as a teacher, and mind you, I wasn't a teacher yet, I was a teacher assistant, you cannot wear shorts. Um, that's one of the rules. You cannot wear shorts when you go to HEB. The second rule was, um, if, if you go to HEB, you first can't wear shorts, but second, you have to have your makeup on. You can't go without makeup, with your hair messed, with shorts on. And then the third rule was, if your husband drinks beer, the, there was never a discussion of whether I drink beer. It was, if your husband drinks beer, you cannot purchase that beer at this grocery store. And I'm gonna tell you, I went home that day and I looked at my husband and I said, where did we land? Because one, I'm young, it's hot. Uh, you know, shorts I thought was okay to go to the grocery store. And we made a decision very early on that I would never go to the grocery store. So to this day, I haven't gone to the grocery store in years. I later understood why those rules were in place, but at that moment, I didn't even question them. Those were the rules. If I wanted to work in this place, I abided by the rules and I didn't have to understand them. It, she's the principal. She said, this is what you have to follow. And there was a time when that we thought was effective. That is no longer the case. I'm not sure it ever really was effective, but to, in our, with, our, with our new workforce, if you say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, they go and they do this and they do this and they do this, right? They are products of a failing economy where they saw their parents lose their jobs, no matter how many rules they followed. So, in, so when I went into education, I thought that's my career. I'm gonna be in education until I retire. That is not the same mentality that our new workforce has. They're in this, this line of work until they find something else that they like or align to even better. They're not really thinking they're going to stay doing this for 30 years the way we did, our generation. Um, so understanding that really the secret sauce, especially as we see in a, a changing workforce, is to um, use some of these skills like persuasion that allows people to do things because they want to do them, not because they feel like they have to comply with you as their quote unquote boss. So really understanding how leadership through the, the proper communication through explaining why teachers don't show up to HEB buying beer and shorts, because you will see every child in the, in the community with their parents in HEB. And we're trying to establish a perspective of the teacher and in many cases and a lot of it's cultural that the teacher is the most respected person in a young child's life because the family just doesn't know that much about the education system if they're recent immigrants if they're very poor which is a bulk of the students that I had the privilege of being able to to work with and so understanding that we were trying not to talk about just say no to drugs and alcohol, but then see our teacher pushing her cart with a lot of beer in, in the cart. And so, but that all was not explained to me, right? And so I think understanding that in today's world with the kind of workforce we have, they're so brilliant in so many ways, we cannot just dictate to them what to do. If you had a room full of men and women trying to understand how to better function together, work together professionally to be able to go move forward in a more unified, compassionate way of thinking and communicating. I know this is a broad question, but what are some of the ideas you would like to convey to this group, group of people in front of you? I think um, there are so many, it is a broad question, so many things to think about. But I do think this idea of emotional intelligence is kind of a takeaway for us, right? I think understanding that there is some responsibility I have in knowing myself and management, managing myself and knowing you and managing my relationship with you, that I cannot move around this world expecting everyone to adjust their communication style, their reactions based on me. So, and Mark, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. It's pouring down rain outside, and I don't know if you can hear all that noise, um, and I'm very sorry if you can, but, we, but we're welcoming the rain to wash everything away. Um, and in our building, we have metal roofs, so you're probably about to hear something very loud, and I apologize in advance. Um, 
but really understanding this idea that I manage me and I can develop me. I really cannot change you. All I can do is work on me. So understanding that, for example, if we go back to my husband and I, understanding that I'm in North and there are some things I need to do if I'm going to increase my relationship quality, which then leads to my emotional well-being, um, with my husband and my family. I have to keep my, I have to recognize when it's time for me to isolate, take, take myself a break. I need to recognize when I'm not choosing the right words for who I'm speaking to. Um, and not expect everyone else to change their style based on me. So a good example of that is if I'm a North, I'm fast, I'm a fast thinker, I don't like to think through details, I don't like to hear details. So if I'm not a good leader, I will say something like, okay, let's get to the point. Let's go, let's move it. I don't want to hear all of that. And I do occasionally find myself saying that to family members because I'm human and I have human days that make me just fall to my default. But the educated leader understands that's what I'm going to fall to on default. How do I manage it? How do I just bite my tongue? How do I not express anything right now? Because he's going to take it personally because that's what South people do. And so it is all about, if I was talking to a team, it's all about knowing yourself and it's all about knowing your team members because once you do that then you can craft strategies around how to effectively manage yourself in the relationship with the people around you but it starts with understanding ourselves and our and our colleagues and our family members and that's a process that's not a daytime event right and we are ever evolving as people so things that I think I know about myself today may look a little different tomorrow um, because I'm evolving, I'm learning more, I'm experiencing more. And so I've got to stay on top of being in tune to myself and my feelings and my emotional well-being, my tendencies, so that I can better keep those at the most productive level possible. What is your opinion on um, how, what is our responsibility? If you're talking to, again, the same group of emerging professionals, what is the, what, would, what would you say to them regarding personal responsibility of becoming a better communicator, more informed, more committed to the process of relational responsibility in the workforce? What would you say to those kinds of questions? Yeah, I think it's each of our responsibility. And I think there are some um, ways in which we test those. I think if we see a lot of negative conflict in the, in the workspace or even in our homes, then um, we have to reflect on ourselves personally and why, why that is happening. What are we doing or what can we change about ourselves that will um, help mitigate some of the negativity that we're seeing? Conflict actually is not a bad thing and it's a good thing. We should have some levels of conflict. If not, we're not growing. We're not thinking outside the box. We're not, we're not expanding. But negative conflict, especially negative chronic conflict, is not a good thing. And we have to recognize we have a responsibility in that. We cannot just be the victim of it. We are, we are contributing in some way to that happening. So what is it that we can do to better understand the better techniques and tips to avoid that and to turn it around into something much more constructive? Um, I think that's, that, that is our responsibility. But again, it is about learning. Um, leadership's a skill and, and we can't just expect people from one day to the next to know how to lead or to know how to manage themselves or to know how to manage other people's, their relationship with other people. We have to teach that. And I think that is each um, family member's responsibility, business owner responsibility, that we are not just learning ourselves, but that we are teaching those around us, whether we're sharing the information with our children, whether we're engaging them in some conversations that allow us to learn what we're learning, because that's really our responsibility. If, if we go to work and we're sharing articles, one of the, one of the um, characteristics of a servant leader is conceptualization. And it really just means that you and I see the big picture and we dream big. We think big in terms of goals. And one of the tests that Robert Greenlee kind of wrote a little bit about in some of his writing was, if people are coming to you at work or at home with gossip and complaints, 
that's a sign for you that your your level of conceptualization development is low and that's okay we just need to know that so we can work on it and that happens to a lot of us because we worked on listening because we worked on empathy now we feel very approachable to people and they want to come and unload on us but if we're not able to move the conversation away from just the complaints to what is it that we can do about it? What are your dreams? Where, where do you want to see this go? What are your goals? That's a skill. And if we can't do that, then conceptualization is a skill we need to work on in ourselves. And um, again, some days we're going to be great at that. Some days we're not going to be great at that. Uh, it all kind of depends on where we are. But knowing that today I'm not great at that, that's the education. Knowing that I need to work on this, that's the education. So I think that is all of our responsibility. You know, leadership involves influence. And so if we're not willing to learn and, and improve as leaders, then we have no business expecting other people to do that. How important is reading, digesting materials that promote leadership, communication, advancement of emotional intelligence and relational skills? And if, if your question was how important, you broke out just a little bit, but I think you said how important. Um, yeah, I think continuing your education is extremely important. I think being very critical in your thinking of, of your resources is important. I think gathering all different perspectives is important, but understanding that some resources are, are more reliable than others and being able to identify that. Um, but definitely continuing your education is important there there is a tool for business owners called a balanced scorecard and and the theory behind this tool is that every business owner will be balanced in his or her focus and attention on four aspects and one of it is financials and we know that makes sense right a business owner has to keep an eye on the money and has to has to make sure the financials are in order the other component is internal processes and procedures. So are we efficient with the way we do our work? Are we, are we wasting time? Are we wasting resources? Are we efficient in the way we do our work? The third component is customer service, which makes sense too. Are we listening to the customer? Are we getting good reviews? Are we getting returning customers? But the fourth component is the one that I think a lot of people don't put as much attention, they, they don't pay as much attention to it, and then in turn it's not balanced, is um, learning and growth. That's the fourth component. And the theory says all four of those components need to be in balance. So we shouldn't be worried about money more than we're worried about the customer experience, more than we're worried about internal processes, and more than we're worried about learning and growth. So learning and growth should be as important as all those other things. Are our team members learning and growing and if they're not we're out of balance and we're not going to be the best business that we can be and i i take that same philosophy um to home and i think families that are not talking about goals and not talking about um you know perspectives and are we doing everything efficiently as a family to reach that goal are we talking about the finances? Are we putting our financial resources in the right direction so that our family can reach our goals? And then are we all learning? Are we learning? Are we growing as each family member? And that doesn't necessarily mean formal education, um, but are we continuing every day to learn something new by experience or by reading or by watching some, some videos? What are we doing? And that's a conversation um, in my family, we have those conversations every quarter. It's, it's part of a, a process that we do. We do a quarter retreat for the company, and my children happen to be the board members in my company. And so we retreat. We usually like to go off somewhere. We haven't, haven't been able to do that under the circumstances now, but we usually like to go somewhere. And we go over all those things that we just talked about. So not just as the business, but as our family. And what are now, what are now your goals for the new quarter? Um, and are we closer to the annual goal that we talked about at the end of December? And so I think that's very, I think it's very important that we stay balanced in our perspectives and in our, in our focus, because if not, we're, we're off kilter. We can pay too much attention to money. And, and in that, in that attention to money, we lose sight of what do the customers need? How is it we're doing our work? And are we learning and growing? 
This has been a great interview process. We're right at an hour now. Uh, Dr. Hinojosa, any final words of encouragement to those that will hear this uh, that are leaders, emergent leaders, or have this desire to become a better leader? Well, thank you. The hour went by very quickly and I appreciate the conversation. Um, I, I would just close with this. Uh, we are all leaders. And leadership is a skill that needs to be developed and we need better leaders. And so we can, we can no longer blame other people for the lack of leadership, we're leaders. And so it is time for each of us to take on that responsibility to become the best leader that we're poss we possibly can be um, because that will affect change, the change that's desperately needed. Now, people want to find you on Facebook, they can find you uh, Leadership Empowerment Group, correct? Yes. And what is the website name? Yeah, it's leadershipempowermentgroup.com. We're on most um, social media outlets except TikTok because I'm not quite ready for that. Uh, but we are everywhere under Leadership Empowerment Group on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And again, I'm Dr. Barbara Baggerly Nohosa, so you can look me up personally as well. We are here to support anyone who wants to develop their leadership and in however way we can. So I look forward to connecting with people from your network. And you have a lot of, and all of your trainings are available online. So no matter where someone at, is at geographically, they can become uh, immediately engaged in those processes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today uh, my friend, uh, one uh, a person I deeply respect and admire as a professional, uh, Dr. Bagley, Barbara Bagalajino-Hosa, PhD. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Hinojosa. What a tremendous blessing this conversation was today. I'm looking forward to having some more uh, conversations with you moving forward on uh, the impact of leadership and, and some of the things you've learned, especially around the areas of qualitative and the quantitative research and allow you to paint larger brushed uh, pictures for us to all grow uh, under some of this hard work you've already done. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I look forward to our next conversation. In the meantime, may God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too. Stay safe down in South Texas. We will. Thank you. Thank you.